note that the views expressed on this program are those of the individuals who speak them, and not necessarily those of Portsmouth Community Radio, its Board of Trustees, members, volunteers, or underwriters. Good evening, and welcome to Spirit Radio. I am your host, Willie Hassel. Along with my co-host, Lynn Nickerson, we will take you on a journey, a journey into the unknown, where the paranormal becomes the normal, a journey to a world cloaked in darkness, where reality becomes a thin veil. So sit back, relax, and join us as we venture into the shadows, the darkness, the unknown, and back. And good evening once again, and welcome to Spirit Radio, the Paranormal Experience. My name is Willie Hassel. I am your gatekeeper to the dark side, your guide to the realm of the unknown, the unseen, the unthinkable. And of course, the brains behind the whole operation (laughs) is the lovely, the mystical, the mysterious, Lynn Nickerson. Good evening, Willie. How are you doing? Oh, I am doing fantastic. I just love... Did I ever tell you how much I love winter? Um, I I don't believe you've ever said those words to me before. I I, I go out, you know, and I I ski and I I shovel. I love shoveling snow. I bet you do. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes I just get down (laughs) on my hands and knees and put my hands up and pretend to be a plow, you know. Or an angel, a snow angel. A snow angel. Or a snow bunny. Uh, yeah, snow bunny. Because I know you're just a barrel of fun, <laughs> <laughs> especially in the winter time. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know the truth. I haven't gone out of the house in a week because I can't stand it. <laughs> the spring is uh, around the corner. It's just a week away. Yeah. And folks, don't forget to turn your clocks forward. That's right. Tonight, too. Turn the clock forward I forgot forward to mention tonight. that. Yeah. Which is always a great thing. I love to see the clocks go ahead, get that extra hour of daylight. You know, it seems a little odd, though, when the clocks go ahead and there's still 10 feet of snow on the ground. I know it. Okay. Have I complained enough oh, now? Yes, you have. Okay. Yeah, so let's well. move on. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's move on from here. <laughs> I, I guarantee it's all uphill from here. What, downhill? Uh, not quite sure how that goes. But So, tonight on Spirit Radio, we would like to welcome Mary Joyce. Having worked for two major metropolitan, metropolitan newspapers as a writer, columnist, and artist, 
Mary is also the author of several books. She is currently editor of the website Skyships Over Caches, featuring a variety of cutting-edge topics. Mary will be joining us tonight to talk about Bigfoot in North Carolina area, as well as the legend of the uh, Cherokee Little People. And good evening, Mary, and welcome to Spirit Radio. Hello, Mary. Hi, how are you? Great. Good, good. how are you? Well, anyway, um, your book is wonderful. Um, I know the story on why you started getting interested in little people uh, of the Cherokee legend. Would you like to talk about it? When I moved to North Carolina, and I'm in the mountains of western North Carolina, I had never heard of little people. And when I first began to hear the stories, I thought they were just, you know, little stories from the Indians that were told around the fires. Mm-hmm. And then one day I met a man who's very, very well respected in that area. Uh, he, he was a World War II hero. He was a pastor. He is, you know, he's written several books. And he said, no, they're real. And when he was involved with um, construction projects at Western Carolina University, they cut into supposed um, virgin land. And what they found were these little tunnels. <laughs> and ultimately, he connected me to many of the old-timers who I would never have been able to talk to if he hadn't opened the doors for me. And they had all been involved in some way or another with construction projects. And they found these little tunnels all over that campus. And they also found little skeletons. Um, there was one little skull that was found, and for a long time... Um, a science professor kept it on his desk, sort of like a, a decorative paperweight. <laughs> and one day another teacher came by and picked it up and looked at it real closely and said, this isn't a child's skull. It has its wisdom teeth. And as you probably know, you have to be 18, 19, 20 years old right. to have wisdom teeth. And um, that's how it all started. Hmm. Well, can you tell us what... Well, what were you going to say, uh, William? No, I was just going to say that's kind of a strange paperweight, it isn't is. it? It is. That's a little, uh, you know? yeah, a little bizarre. Um, can you tell us what they found in these tunnels? Uh, well, uh, let me start with the um, the Indian mounds. And they had two what they called Indian mounds on the campus. And the old-timers said they really weren't Indian mounds. One of the mounds, the larger of the two, had a vertical... Um, hole or tunnel that went straight down into it. Mm -hmm. And as they did more and more of these construction projects, they found that many of those tunnels connected to that mound. And the old-timers said that was a pile of dirt from digging out those tunnels. (laughs) And, uh, you know, the stories just go on and on. There there was a a man who was a farmer, because that that land in the valley was farmed for quite a while. And uh, one of the men told me about a story that he would walk to campus or walk to school and he would stop and visit with this man who had two plow horses and he would plow the fields. And one day in a conversation, the farmer said he always worried that one of those little tunnels would collapse and his horses would break their legs. Oh. And uh, it's, uh, it's quite interesting. And I'm sure you appreciate irony. Um, there's this one... Uh, building It's one of the older buildings on campus. It's called the McKee Building. And the irony of it is that these little tunnels were found when they were digging the basement for that uh, uh, building. And 
they have built walls up, supporting walls, to support the basement. And behind those walls, there are still two of those tunnels that now nobody can get to. The irony is on the inside of the walls is the archaeo- uh, the anthropology department. Oh. So there you have on one side of this big, thick wall these ancient tunnels, and on the other side you have a lab that studies those kind of things. And you just go, this is crazy. Absolutely crazy. Oh, that's interesting. Mm. Yeah, it is. Okay, the mound with a shaft, doesn't that sound to you like habitation, like an air hole? Um, one of the uh, early stories that I heard uh, was from uh, an Indian woman who was with the University of Montana. And she had done a lot of research. And she was the one that told me that when... Um, the Cherokee first came to this area, they found these little gardens, but there were no people around. And eventually, the Cherokee um, saw these little people come out from underneath the ground, and they would um, work in their gardens at nighttime. So originally, the Cherokee called these little people the moon people because they came out at night. Mm. And then they would take their food and go back into the tunnels. So there's this whole network of tunnels, and uh, it's pretty well uh, believed that they they had a, like a little city beneath the ground. And uh, some of these have, tunnels have been found, you know, several miles from the campus. Now, that seems to be the hub, but when they were digging uh, uh, one of the uh, uh, high schools in the area, they found some little tunnels. When they were building another construction project, uh, they found more little tunnels. And they're not the kind of tunnels that uh, some kind of a, uh, an animal would build. They're no. square cut, but they have rounded tops. And the rounded top, if anybody knows about engineering, makes the tunnel stronger. Yeah. And all of these are built in this really thick, dense red clay. Um, in clay? No matter where they're found. So it is not done with um, blocks or blocks of clay? I'm sorry, I can't hear you. Is it done with blocks of clay? No, no, no. They just dig. You know, there's a lot of areas around here that are this, that are just made of red clay, and it's this real dense red clay. And some of that is on the campus, and that's where these tunnels were constructed in the red clay. Have they found any kind of cities? No. Uh, now, the, the tunnels are small. They're uh, typically, I mean, they will vary in size, but typically they're like, uh, let's say, two feet wide and three and a half feet tall. Um, sometimes a little shorter than that, sometimes a little taller. A normal person would have to get down uh, probably on their knees to, to get into some of these. Uh, it was interesting. Uh, this is not in the book. This came out uh, after the book came out because then people come and tell you more stories. <laughs> One man who is uh, in the construction business, he was working on a project uh, probably about five miles from the campus, and they had to cut into it uh, the side of a, a hill or a mountain uh, to level it off for the building. And they, they found five of these tunnels. Hmm. And the thing that was uh, interesting about his story is that he was very observant, and he's been in construction, and so he could tell me the size. He's the one that said it was two feet across and, you know, three and a half feet tall. But he said there were these little groove marks, uh, like somebody had taken a tool and used it to uh, smooth out the inside of the tunnel. 
And he said when they cut into them, they were just as fresh, you know, as if, you know, they had been newly cut. Really? Um, he said there were no cobwebs, no spiders, you know, nothing of that nature. And, uh, but he said he was just too big to get in there. Darn. Hmm. But then we have mysteries all over the place, not just the little people. There's um, uh, south of campus, there is a, uh, a very large petroglyph stone. It's, it's known around here as the Judicola Rock. It has all of these markings on it that nobody has been able to figure out, including the uh, uh, Cherokee culture experts. And it is, you know, many people guess that perhaps the little people did these markings on the stone. I don't remember the exact size of it. Perhaps it's uh, 10 or 12 feet across and maybe 8 feet in the other direction. It's just covered with these, these uh, like petroglyphs? mystery markings. Um, are they similar to, like, um, the, the Vikings? The They're not similar to anything. Really? It mystifies people. Hmm. Uh, in uh, fact, uh, some of the uh, people who were into heavy history uh, have declared it the most mysterious petroglyph in the country. Because and it makes no sense. The name of it again, oh. Mary, is what? The what I'm rock? Sorry? What is the name of the rock again? It's called Judicola Rock. Judicola. A U D. I'm real good at spelling that in my head. <laughs> Judicola, C U L L A. Okay. And what town is that in, or a county? Pardon? What town or county is that in? All right. If you. Uh, Jackson County is. Uh, in western North Carolina is where an awful lot of this is. And uh, the closest town would be Cullowee, which is where the uh, University of Western North Carolina is located. Okay. That seems to have been the hub for all this. But, you know, there's not even agreements on um, the ch- what the Cherokee little people look like. Uh, there was a major uh, flood back in 1940, the kind that, you know, made the history books. Mm-hmm. Museum. But then, you know, the, the uh, early Cherokees called them the, uh, the moon people and said that they had light, that they had blue skin. And really? the most common description is that the Cherokee little people looked like the Cherokee people with the, you know, slightly uh, tan skin and dark eyes and dark hair. So there, the most common description. there are two comments that they have either blue skin or darker skin like the Cherokee? It's like three different descriptions, and they may be describing three different things. Oh. Um, the Cherokee did not like one type of uh, little people, and they had reddish whiskers, and the Cherokee didn't like them, and they would try to kill them off. Oh, no. The ones that looked like the Cherokee, uh, they really took them in, kind of uh, treated them more like family. Um, 
And apparently, the Cherokee who came here from the Great Lakes region learned a lot from the little people. Yeah, one race is what called dogwood, and uh, there were three of them. I can't find it in my notes right now. The laurel people, the rock people, and I think it was dogwood. And some of them, some of them were kind of mean, and some of them were um, kind and and taught them right, stuff. Kind of like people, we have both kinds. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And but, like any people, just they were just smaller. You're just smaller, yeah. yeah. Um, so they really don't know what race these individuals are and, and where they came from. Uh, they were here before the Cherokee. Nobody knows uh, where they came from. I did interview a woman who is the, or was, she's passed away, who it was the great-great-granddaughter of Sally, who was the Cherokee legendary hero, not legendary, he was a hero of the Cherokee people. And she said that the little people came from the stars. Hmm. But that isn't uh, shocking because the Cherokees say they came from the, themselves. Came yeah. From the um, so we have several options there, and I don't know how to get to the bottom of it. I, you know, there are cultures all over the world that cl- have a claim to having diminu- diminutive people. Right. And there is a real variety of them. They're 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 dark skinned, and then there's some that e- that are even blonde, and their heights vary from like twenty five centimeters to maybe three three and a half feet. So, have you done any um, research or like have you read anything by Susan Martinez, PhD? Uh, is she the one from Georgia that's written about little people all over the world? Yes, yes. Um, I have her book. I I have started to read it, but I haven't completed it. She gets into it pretty heavily. Yeah, she does. And she is saying that there is a school of thought, like um, um, an original unity of man theory, where all small races of Homo pygmaeus mm-hmm. are all related, and that they are the root race of humanity. And that includes the larger people. And I don't know quite how she comes to that conclusion um, because some of the taller people are supposed to have this DNA as well. But there's such a diversity of these little people. Right. I and just, we apparently have had a history of diversity right here in this very contained area. And uh, we also have many Bigfoot stories. One of those I do include in the book, um, it's the best local uh, Bigfoot story that we've gotten at this point for the website that I have, uh-huh. which is skyshipsovercashers.com. And cashers is spelled like a, a cashier at, the, at Walmart <laughs> uh, with an S on the end of it, uh, skyshipsovercashers.com. And we deal with a lot of cutting-edge topics. And one of the stories that I did was interviewing um, a retired military man. And he had to retire early, so we're not talking to an old, feeble man. Mm-hmm. Um, and after he retired, he moved to um, this general area, and he lives on the side of a mountain next to uh, a national forest. And what's interesting is one day he uh, heard these sounds out in the creek, and it sounded like children playing. Well, he lives in an isolated area. There's no children around. And he thought that was real puzzling. He heard the, um, uh, you may be familiar with the, the sound that Bigfoot will make by taking a big stick and 
hitting a tree. Yeah. Hear oh, those yeah. kind of sounds. Yeah. You hear this grunt, growling kind of sound. And then one day he was sitting on his porch, which is about, which overlooks a creek, which is about 30 feet away from his house. And it was uh, in the evening time. And this road in front of his house is an old logging road. And he has installed a, uh, he calls it a street light next to his garage. And he saw a Bigfoot cross the road. And after the Bigfoot, there were two smaller Bigfoot. <laughs> and then there was a larger one. And he came to realize that uh, uh, the female always crosses an open area first, followed by the children, followed by the male. And he saw that pattern repeatedly. Um, eventually, he got to the point where uh, the male would come down to where he has a garden. And uh, actually, uh, he said, you know, food will disappear from his garden that he knows that they take, mm-hmm. which is fine with him. They never take too much. But he's uh, named him Fred. And he calls <laughs> Fred, Fred and his family. And, uh, yeah, I, I did. Uh... That's, that's very close to the Judah Color Rock. Now, the Judah Color Rock is based on old Cherokee legends about the Judicola giant. Hmm. My own personal theory is that uh, that story is based on the Bigfoot. And this man that I just told you about, he's not that far from that Judicola rock. So it gives credence to that, that yeah. possibility. Yeah, I, I did read that story that you're talking about on your on your website. And uh, it sounds like basically he's got a family of Bigfoot for neighbors. Yes, that's, he said yeah, he, they uh, live up on the mountain yeah. behind his place, and it's a very steep slope. There's no roads, there's no homes, there's no trails. Uh, it's really quite remote, uh, but yeah. that's where they live. And three or four times a week, he puts food out for them. and He does. And then yeah. occasionally, they come and get a little extra. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, it's kind of neat. It is, yeah. And, it's, and uh People might want to, you know, uh, check in on the website every once in a while. There's a story that we will be working on that I just found out about uh, this this morning. And it's a, uh, a man who's uh, had a Bigfoot materialize in front of him. Materialize. Materialize. And I've heard rumors of that before. But yeah. I've never talked to somebody, you know, face-to-face who's had that experience. So I'm kind of looking forward to that. So people might want to periodically check in on the website. And again, I know it's hard to remember these things, but it's skyshipsovercashers.com. Yeah, I would like to know more about that because I was going to get into that with you a little bit. Um, have you heard of um, David Politis? Um, yes, and he's a wonderful speaker. He is, and he's also very knowledgeable. He's got two things going for him. He's got the books on Missing 411, which um, focuses on the disappearance of a lot of people, children, and adults in the national park system. But he also has this investigative team uh, of Bigfoot, and the information that they're uncovering is just amazing. Um, He's the one that, as I understand it, correct me if I'm wrong on this, that he was the one that got Dr. Ketchum to do the DNA research. That's right. Uh, and uh, when that first kind of came out, which would have been 2012, maybe? Yes. We did do an article on the website about it, and uh, I found it fascinating. Well, he goes on to say that uh, Bigfoot, now they, they claim, he claims, and this comes from a good source, 
that they have hairs of DNA and they've um, up of the Bigfoot and they have done DNA testing and they sent different pieces to different labs. Um, It's coming back that Bigfoot is part human, is not part animal, but is part something else. We don't know how to define. Something unidentified, yeah. Yes, the something else. And it does have these abilities to, supernatural abilities evidently, to fade in and out of our reality. Right. And so, well, I'm really anxious to talk to this man about it. Oh, are you going to get to he talk to him, Mary? He first saw him, he saw him from the back, and he, he suspected it was a Bigfoot. He was really tall. And it, then when he saw him from the front, he said the front side, he looked very much like a human. And like a Native American. He said uh, there was I, a... That's what... Uh, 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 is it Politis? How does he pronounce it? Uh, Politis, I think. Politis? Yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's his... Uh, uh, what he's talked about, if I'm correct, if I remember that correctly. Yes, he did mention that, and he said also that he has um, a sketch artist, a police sketch artist, who's supposedly very good, and he can draw the face without the hair. Right. And he says that there's just a, a remarkable resemblance to Native Americans, and that Native Americans refer to Bigfoot as people, that they right. consider a, them a race. another tribe. Yes, like another tribe. So it really makes you wonder. I would love to hear him speak at, at one of these uh, conferences. I, I've never seen him in person. I've seen, uh, you know, on YouTube. YouTube yeah. He spoke very well. Yeah, in 2012, he spoke in front of uh, MUFON LA. That's probably the one I saw. Yeah. Oh, really good. Yeah. So are you aware of the fact that there are, like, hairy little people found all over the world? Uh, that has not been anything that I've heard in this area. Other than the ones with the red whiskers, but that's not like Harry Oliver. Oh, red whiskers. <laughs> yeah, well, that makes it sound more like the leprechauns of Ireland. Yeah. It really does. So other than, well, let's get to the leprechauns. Do you think that maybe there's a connection between the little people that have been found or the remains in Tennessee compared to the leprechauns in Ireland? Because those two people claimed to have seen them and that they're mischievous, but they claim that they're real. They claim that they're what? That they're real. Mm-hmm. What do you now, think? I still have um, uh, Cherokee people because I'm not, I'm very close to, to uh, we call it the Cherokee Reservation, but it's technically not a reservation. They have their own nation. And um, uh, there are Cherokee over there that say that they still have little people around in the more remote parts of the reservation. And, uh, yeah, they can be mischievous. They talk about uh, putting food out for them. And if they don't put it out, they will have stones or, you know, pebbles yeah. on the roof. Yeah. Like a reminder, hey, you didn't put anything out for us. Hey, you <laughs> forgot us. Yeah, you <laughs> forgot us. You forgot us. So, so do you think that there's uh, a connection there? Uh, like genetically? Not? Why not? I don't know how we're going to prove all these things. Uh, probably um, more DNA fact, testing. what I did, the reason I wrote the book is because I kept hearing all these stories, and then I started talking to these gentlemen, and I've got about 11 different interviews in the book, uh, Cherokee Little People Were Real, which, by the way, is available on Amazon. And um, let's see, what was I going to do with that? Start rattling off a commercial. Oh, you (laughs) you were talking about the interviews of different people that you've done? Right. And... uh, 
I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> How about the, the origin of, or, or their genetic makeup? Oh, I did it because their stories, nobody had written them down. And if somebody had, I would not have written the books. Um, but I, I, I checked every which way, and these stories were not recorded. And these were from credible people in Jackson County. And uh, when I did uh, the original interviews, which actually was back in 20... In, in 2000, 2001. Mm-hmm. And at that time, most of the people were like in their 80s. Oh, and damn. it's a good thing I recorded those yeah. transcripts at that time because um, Posterity. just about all passed away. Yeah. And uh, then this past spring, I decided this really needed to be a book. And what I've done is I've done lots of photos, lots of location maps, uh, so that perhaps some archaeologists can take the information I have in this book and use it as a starting place to get more information. Yeah, that, that sounds wonderful. Um, Mary, we're right at the bottom of the hour, so we're going to have to take a quick break. Okay. And we'll be back in like about three minutes. Okay. All right. All right. Thank you. Supernatural Magazine, the UK's newest paranormal magazine, provides support to Spirit Radio, the paranormal experience. It is the magazine's goal to bring every aspect of supernatural news and research from around the world under one roof to create a universal platform for all those interested in the supernatural. More information is available at supernaturalmagazine.com. You are listening to Spirit Radio, the paranormal experience on WSCA 106.1 FM, and we'll be right back after this short break.
And welcome back to Spirit Radio, the paranormal experience on WSCA 106.1 FM in Portsmouth West End, where programming is made possible by you, our members, and by Living Innovations, helping Seacoast seniors and people with disabilities to lead full and happy lives at home and in the community. For more information, visit livinginnovations.com. And from the community calendar, the Strawberry Bank Museum in the heart of historic downtown Portsmouth, New Hampshire, is an authentic 10-acre history museum listed on the National Register of Historic Places. A complete schedule of exhibits and events can be found online at strawberrybank.org. And, Lynn, do you have some upcoming guests to the broadcast? Yes, our guest lineup starts with March 14th. Preston Dennett will be joining us. He's a longtime MUFON investigator and an author of many books on UFOs. And he'll be making his third appearance on Spirit Radio to cover one of his later publications titled UFOs Over New Mexico. March 21st, we'll have Shane Sirwa. And he's a friend of ours, and he's another paranormal investigator from New Hampshire. And he's going to be relating some of his uh, experiences in the world of ghost busting. March 28th, we're welcoming Ray Jordan from the TV series Australian Ghost Hunter, which will be premiering on March 24th on the Sci-Fi Channel. He's the UK member of the team, and he'll be giving us a bird's-eye view of what happens behind the scenes. April 4th, our good friend Tom Spitaleary from Essex County Ghost Project will be visiting to talk about his paranormal conference coming up on April 18th in Hampton, New Hampshire. April 11th, Tom D'Agostino and his wife Arlene Nicholson are returning for a third visit and will be focusing on their latest book on the histories and mysteries of the defunct weaving mill known as the Ramtail Factory in Foster, Rhode Island. And on April 18th, more friends of ours from the Connecticut Paranormal Research Team, uh, Christine LeClaire and Dan Peer, will be taking out some time for their busy schedule to update us on their latest investigations in the Connecticut area. And that's our upcoming guest list. And they're going to come all the way up here. From Connecticut. From Connecticut to be live in the studio with us. Oh, terrific. And we are going to go back to the phone very quickly for tonight's guest, uh, Mary Joyce. But I do want to say, first of all, uh, I want to wish a speedy recovery to a friend of mine and a uh, regular listener here to the broadcast, uh, Buddy from Denham, Massachusetts. Hope you're feeling better really fast. And now let us go back to uh, our guest tonight, Mary Joyce. Welcome back, Mary. Hi, Mary. Hi there. I think your audience is very fortunate. I heard the list of programs you have in the future, and it looks like you do a good job of... um Digging up things that are very interesting. Oh, thank you oh. so much. We try to get a variety. We try, yes. Because <laughs> no, you have to work at it. And, you can. Uh, uh, people who just listen probably don't realize the effort it takes to uh, to find some of these things. Yeah, we're constantly looking. So if you have any ideas. <laughs> send them your way. Yeah. So I've listen, since I'm here in, in Appalachia, uh, I really want to tell you one moonshine story. Oh, please. Oh, absolutely. Uh, South of the campus, uh, there is a mountain called uh, uh, Cowie Mountain, or Cowie Mountain Road. And way at the top of it, uh, it's known for moonshine stills back in the 1930s. <laughs> and back in the 1930s, there were these two guys who were moonshiners, and they built a still way off the, you know, the main road. And when I say main road, I'm talking about like a logging road at that time. And... Uh, when they were digging out their still, 
they found what they called, and I'll put it in their words, a pile of little people bones, or a pile of little bones. Ooh. And um, the, they quickly covered it back over and didn't talk to anybody about it for a long, long time because they didn't want anybody to discover their still. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went out in the woods with a, a man who oh, he was close to, he was the oldest man that I interviewed. And I, he and his wife took me back on the old path trying to find where this moon uh, you know, shine still was. Um, I don't know if there's any remnants there, if anybody could ever find anything, but um, at least I've got in the book uh, the approximate location and maybe somebody uh, you know, who has the expertise of digging and searching might be able to find something up there. But that fits in with the story of the Cherokee wanting to kill the little people that had the red, red whiskers. You know, there was a whole pile of them. And uh, they did not kill off the, uh, the the ones that looked like the Cherokees. So why the animosity with the red-whiskered ones? I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. We're talking some pretty ancient history here because the Cherokees have been here for a long time. Yeah. And uh, the little people were here before that. So there's just tons of mysteries, and, and hopefully, you know, hopefully this book will inspire some people who have the wherewithal to, to do some of this. Now, what's interesting, and you may have experienced this in other ways, uh, the academic world is um, sometimes not as um, academic as they ought to be. <laughs> um, that campus, uh, they quickly covered up this whole story. Why? Because they wanted to build their building, and if you come across an archaeological site, everything stops. That's right. And um, somebody contacted me since the book came out, and he went to Western, you know, as a student. And one day he saw the head of security uh, walking where they were, which was kind of off campus down by the river. And he had a box that he said was, you know, perhaps a little bit bigger than a shoebox. And they got into a conversation with him. Now, I think the man, if he was trying to cover something up, was kind of foolish because he told the the boys that these were some of the little bones they had found when they were digging. And he was taking them and reburying them somewhere else. Hmm. So, you know, it's, it's... they should have saved at least something. And like the McKee building that I mentioned in the first half hour, mm-hmm. um, if they had maybe just put in a glass window where you could see yeah. the tunnels, if they had preserved some of it in a, in a good way, uh, it could have been the basis for a really good archaeology department at the university, which they don't have at this point. They have an anthropology department. Um, they also have a forensic lab. And... Um, uh, some of the people who graduated from that program say that uh, that little skull that I told you about is still in that lab. Hmm. Along with, and this they're all sitting on too, along with uh, the remains of at least two giants with six toes. Six toes. Mm-hmm. Now where did that giant come from? I don't know because they're sitting on it. I mean, there's stories about things with the University of Tennessee, and I made a trip over there and talked to the head of you know, the departments, and, you know, you just get nowhere with it. And uh, I know. It's, uh, they don't want to admit it. I know, I know. 
Now, these mounds, are there several... I story a number of years ago on the Skyship Silver Cashers website about the cover cover up with the Smithsonian with the, the giant of the giant bones. Right. And they yeah. found all over the country. Yeah. And then the Smithsonian comes and takes them and you think that's gonna be the best place to keep those things. They and disappear. They disappear. Yeah. Yeah. Well, are there several mounds in the, the uh, North Carolina area? Uh there are. And a lot of them aren't marked in any way. Uh, when I first uh moved here, I lived on a place called, everything's a creek around here, I live mm-hmm. in Greens Creek, and there's a, an Indian mound there that, you know, you have to know that it's there, mm-hmm. there's no uh, publicity about it. Well, uh, the reason I wanted to know was they have found both the giant bones and little people bones, and everything seems to be disappearing, and no one can quite determine what the purpose of the mounds is. And I don't think they're all the same. They probably aren't. And like the the old timers uh, at the university, when they were doing construction, they said that was just a big pile of dirt from digging the tunnel. Yeah, right. That makes as much sense as anything else, since all the tunnels seem to gravitate toward where that mound was. Um, but then there, you know, the Indians also built mounds, and then they would uh, put like I'm not going to say temples, but um, the sanctuaries or places to worship structure on top of it. And there's some of those here in in North Carolina and North Georgia. So that's two purposes. And then the old traditional thing is it was uh, simply a burial site. So those those are three, and you may be able to come up with some other ones. Uh, do you know if there are any of the mounds that are, like, open to the public to visit, like inside? Where you can go into them? Mm. Right where I am. I'm not aware of any of them. That'd be a shame. And the one, the the mounds around here, they just look like a like a little hill. Yeah. One's very. It's one's a sad little one. It's it's uh, between uh, two roads in downtown Franklin, North Carolina, and it just looks like a you know a bump between the two two roads. Yeah. Um. What about the um? You've heard of the graveyards? I think there were two of them. There was um. There were some graves found in White and Sparta counties in Tennessee, and they were full of small coffins of stones, and they were well-formed human beings, and they were three feet high. They weren't children. Right. And then there was another one found in Coffee County, and that one was huge. It was six acres, and they found between 75,000 and 100,000 bodies. I didn't know it was that high. Oh, my gosh. Um, and they were found not in coffins so much, but in either sitting or standing positions. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, Different burial customs. Yeah. Sometimes they're curled up like a, in a, a fetal position, and sometimes they're seated, and sometimes they're standing, and, it, you know, it's just all different kinds of ways. You just, there are so many mysteries for us to figure out. There sure are. <laughs> so... And, I, and I'll, I'm going to do a plug again. I hope that somebody who's interested in digging and archaeology and, and, and research uh, will get my book and maybe uh, track some things down and see if they can get some more information, more than I've been able to get. But I was just bound and determined to save this information from the old construction people, from the moonshiners, uh, and from the, uh, the you know, one of the Indian people. Um, I'm, I'm sure it's going to be a big help to anyone trying to do some research. Uh, yeah, and, the, and I deliberately, you know, went and found the, the, the maps and stuff, so 
think it's real specific. Um, do you have any more, um, another interview that you could share with us, Mary? Um, before I forget, can I tell you one that we just posted on the website? This oh, sure. Um, uh, let's see if I remember the title right. The title is Military Witness, and then it's a quote, and it's, there are ISIS training camps in North Carolina. I know. I saw that. You know, I'm on your mailing list. That is frightening. I didn't know if you'd had a chance to see it. I did. Now, that is the first story that we've had in a long time that shocked me, because that's really in, in my backyard. It is shocking. There's like 17 across the country. And so when, at what point are they... More than that. But that, I don't, you know, it leaves us with so many questions. Um, and I encourage people to go to the website. Again, I'll repeat it, skyshipsovercashers.com. Um, and it's under deep throat testimonies because the man was is has been threatened at knife point, um, and so we didn't use his real name. Um, He's a former medic, right? Committed. He is committed to to warning people that this is going on, and he's as perplexed as anybody else would be as to why our government is allowing this and why they might actually be at least some aspects of the government involved with it. Well, you know, he went on a surveillance of this camp, and I couldn't quite get how he was supposed to be surveilling it. What? Because the sheriff's departments were supposed to be apprised of the situation. Yeah, but that's after he was involved with surveillance. So what was he trying to check out? I mean, why is it all secretive if he's spying on them? Why is... Why can't he reveal it then? Um, he doesn't know, like the man that he did surveillance for mm-hmm. was with the military, with our government, was working with him to do the surveillance, and he is the one that threatened, threatened him the most severely about not talking about it. Um, why? Yeah, why? Why? At what point are they going to notify the people? Who gave us the story... You know, he's very uh, he's very uh, unsettled about it because he's wondering, just like I am, what at what aspect of our government is allowing this, and why are they trying to keep it quiet? Um, it's frightening. You know, why? It's very disturbing. But it's a it's a it's well worth reading, and I encourage people to go to the website and check it out. Again, it's 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 listed two ways. On the home page, we have something on the right that just says, you know, talks about what's new on the website. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can click on it from there, but it's definitely under uh, the heading of uh, Deep Throat Testimonies. And we only have stories like that every once in a while uh, where you really have to protect the person. The other one that's in that currently that's posted up there actually goes back two years, and it's about uh, another military man who blew the whistle on uh, a secret underground facility beneath the uh, Great Smoky Mountains National Park. I read that one, too. That, too, was frightening. And I know. I mean, the whole website isn't frightening. We have things on cosmic <laughs> miracles. We have uh, a whole section devoted to Bigfoot and ETs. Um, but these things need exposure. People need to know about this. And we're trying to, to do our part. And another thing that's fast, I'm talking more about the website than I am the book, uh, but the book really is very, very worthwhile, and I'll do one more plug for it, and we'll get back to the website. 
the title is called uh, Cherokee Little People Were Real. It's available on Amazon. And it's I'm an old newspaper person who's used to writing very condensed and to the point. And I believe that you have to have photos and maps and illustrations to go with a story to really pull it together. Oh, you have to have the visual stuff. Right. Yeah. So that book is done that way. And the other book that I've done in a similar way is called um, Tangible Evidence of Jesus. You can tell I'm interested in archaeology, whether it's UFOs or religion. And there's a lot of very interesting uh, information about Jesus um, uh, that just puts a whole different light on his actual life. Uh, Because, as you probably know, uh, our religious history has been manipulated and and carved and, and, uh, oh yeah, uh, Vatican had a lot to do with that too. Go ahead, Willie. I was just going to say we got about four minutes left. Oh, okay. We're we're running short on time. So. Um, did, would you care to talk about that sighting of Jesus recently? That's on your site. Uh, I can tell you about the one that's local. Okay. Um, up at Cashers, and that's where the website's named after, uh, one of the people who's been seeing UFOs for quite some time, one night she just sat down uh, by her bay window where she could lay down and actually see the sky, and she saw a UFO way up there. She'd seen them before, and she didn't get all excited about it. <laughs> but then this beam of light came down from that UFO, hit the ground, and then uh, she heard this slap on the side of the house and really scared her. She froze. And then she finally looked out, and there in the trees was um, an image of Jesus that was about 30, 35 feet tall. Wow, like a hologram. Like a hologram. And it stayed there for, I'd have to go back and check it, maybe 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And it moved like the hair was in, the, you know, in, in a breeze. Oh. The thing that caught my attention with that story is that she is Jewish. She has no reason to make up a story. Really? And... Um, one of the things she described that got my attention was uh, he had a leather uh, like necklace or strap around his neck with a pouch. Now, I've never seen any depiction of Jesus with a, like a thong uh, necklace with a pouch. Like a medicine bag. Well, probably to carry coins. I mean, they still needed money in those days. Mm, true. I seen any pockets in, in the kind of right. clothing that they wore. I suspect that's what it was, but it made her story so much more real. That's and fascinating. the story that um, I'm going to be working on shortly about, that I mentioned earlier, about the Bigfoot encounter, mm-hmm. that was up there in Cashers also. Um, Cashers is... Um, uh, Bizarre. <laughs> really interesting place. Yeah. And the... Um, Bear Baba, um, you know, with the eastern face, Mm-hmm. He made a trip across the country in the 1950s and deliberately stopped in Cashers, uh, which is at you know top of the mountain, uh, because he said it was a holy place. Hmm. So uh, uh, there's a lot more than just UFOs going around here, and we got we have gotten a lot of attention. One of the very first articles we wrote for a little tiny paper in Cashers was about a sighting. Ten days later, we get a call from somebody from MUFON, and they had connections with somebody who, who uh, flies on Air Force One, or it did at that time. Mm-hmm. And 
they said they were talking on Air Force One about this story in this little tiny paper in Cashman. <sighs> and you go, oh my God, why, why? So, I mean, there, there's a, a lot of mysteries up here. So if anybody needs mysteries in their life, come to North Carolina. Oh, yeah, and to your website. But before we go, I, what... What do you suppose? How did that woman react to to the vision of Jesus? What did she feel that the purpose was? Or what did she get from it? Uh, she felt awe and peace. Mm. I mean, she wasn't afraid at all. Mm-hmm. She was afraid before she saw it. She was afraid when she heard this big, loud sound on the side of the house. Any telepathic message? Um. There, well, there's more than we can fit into the end of this show. There's a whole lot with with her also. Oh. A lot of things have happened up there. Uh, and some very, very unusually shaped UFOs. We've gotten more, uh, UFOs that are organic shaped. Organic? Uh-huh. How do you figure that? Well, they just, they don't, you know, you think of in terms of a structure, like metallic round structure, and some of these just don't look that way. Kind of shapeless, you mean? Or? Um, like an amoeba or something? Like a cell? That way, and sometimes just more like a... Like a shell shape, maybe? Hmm. Different kinds hmm. of shapes. Almost like it's translucent? I know, very solid looking. Hmm. Interesting place. They, they, interesting place, yeah. yeah. I'm going to have to take a ride down there. Hmm. One of these days. They do say that some of the UFOs are... Um, the only thing that's difficult with the, uh, uh, the website for people is the spelling of cashers. And that's how they pronounce it, but it looks like, you know, a cashier. Cashier, yeah. Thing. Yeah. And it's C-A-S-H-I-E-R-S, skyshipsovercashers.com. Uh, we're constantly uh, doing stories. The archives are full of things that would probably be new to most people. And again, the Cherokee Little People were real book. Um, it's available on Amazon. And did you have another book there too, Mary, that you wanted to mention? Tangible Evidence of Jesus. Okay. It's for us to find. But you can just type in Tangible Evidence of Jesus and you'll find it. Okay, terrific. Excellent. Uh, we are, unfortunately, though, Mary, we are out of time. It was a pleasure and, talking uh, to you. Yeah, Truly was, a pleasure. It was I great to have you. Uh, we have given out your website a few times. You want it? You can give it one more time if you want, uh, where your books are available, and if you have any appearances or anything like that coming up, if you want to plug them, go right ahead. Well, the most important thing, I think, is to plug the book, which is Cherokee Little People Were Real on Amazon. The other book tangible evidence that Jesus left behind for us to find, uh, again, available on Amazon. And uh, uh, I, there's a lot of interesting information in there, including a description of Jesus uh, from a letter that was written by Pontius Pilate to Caesar. Really? Caesar was uh, curious about what uh, this man was like, and, you know, he didn't have television then. So there's a letter there. And also there were appearances of Jesus after the crucifixion throughout the Western Hemisphere, and the descriptions of him there match the ones for Pontius Pilate. Ah. And he has the lighter features, and the, they always described his eyes as being like very changeable, like the ocean. Mm-hmm. You know, gray, green, blue, uh, uh, not your typical image of somebody who lives in the Middle East. Right. Mm. Hmm. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Mary. Yes, thank thank you for joining us, Mary. Thank you so much. You have a good evening. You have a good evening, too. You too. Good night. All right, bye-bye. 
And that is Spirit Radio, the paranormal experience for another lovely, beautiful New England winter night. It certainly has been. So good night, everyone, and thank you for listening. One of many possible worlds All for the best Or some bizarre test It is what it is And whatever Time is still the infinite jest The arrow flies when you dream The hours tick away the cells take away The watchmaker keeps to his keys The hours tick away They tick away The measure of a life Is a measure of love and respect So hard to earn, so easily